0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster And I am joined this week by my beautiful co-host
1: Sam Ashurst, I'm a writer, I'm a director And I'm very glad to have Dan back for his choice Black Sunday. Now, this is one that you requested from Arrow. Had you seen it before? Why did you want to cover this movie in particular?
0: I hadn't seen it before. I have wanted to see it for absolutely ages. Mm. I have the Laserdisc and have never gotten around to watching it. And then as soon as Arrow announced it, I was like, well, I'm not going to fucking bother with that now. I'll wait for the beautiful remaster. Yeah, I mean, I love 70s thrillers. I like dour... Intrigue. The 70s were a particularly like sort of grim and down time for, for thrillers, and that's very much my vibe. Uh, had you
1: seen it before? I hadn't actually. I love 70s thrillers so much and. This director made some very, very interesting ones. Um, I'm a big fan of yeah. Frankenheimer in general. You know, stuff like 52 Pickup is amazing. He made The French Connection 2, which is kind of fascinating. And
0: Yeah, which I saw for the first time not that long ago.
1: And his 60s stuff is even better. Like Birdman of Alcatraz, Manchurian Candidate. Seven Days in May, The Train, which Arrow put out, Seconds, which Arrow put out, and Seconds is obviously in the top tier of his stuff. Um, very incredible. different to Black Sunday, but really, really incredible film. Frankenheimer's a really, really fascinating director. I don't know where this one kind of fits in to his filmography as a whole, I guess it's more in line with like the Manchurian candidate, but a little bit more straight. Yeah. How do you feel about Frankenheimer's direction and why do you think he was attracted to to this novel? So
0: Jen and I were sort of discussing this as we watched it. And I think that one of the things that makes it particularly interesting is that like given when it was made, which is like two years after Vietnam, it took me quite a while to work out who was... Like, whether or not we were meant to agree with these people. I think it's interesting that some of the terrorist ideals of this era have now kind of drifted slightly towards, like, accepted ideals now. Obviously not the methods by which they're, they're chasing them, but, but it's really interesting to see it through the lens of, like, current political arguments, and especially with America's sort of foreign relations.
1: Well, yeah, it's it, it does take a turn, obviously. There's a, a fantastic scene where Bruce Dern is explaining why he wanted to do what he's doing. And it's partly politically motivated, but also there's very much kind of incel vibes. (laughs) It feels like a mixture between people who do something for a real, almost honourable political purpose. And I'm not talking about the incels when I say that. And then the the incels who are doing stuff when they do embark on acts of violence... Uh, For the most evil and disturbing reasons possible. So really interesting juxtaposition between those two motivations in that scene. It's an amazing scene.
0: It's it's incredible. I mean, I think one of the things to remember is that, you know, those people are still very much at play within the larger, more organised terrorism spectrum. It's just that they are the grunts being manipulated. Right. You know, like when you like read uh interviews with or, or watch interviews with people who talk about de-radicalizing particularly young men it's so often that people fall into these groups whether it's you know your proud boys or your isis out of a feeling of disconnectedness with society feeling left behind yeah. by their peers and being given an opportunity to be part of something and to be a hero so,
1: as well like to well exactly to pursue that hero's narrative that we've all Uh, grown up on through cinema, through books, through comics, through whatever. um, It's really tapping into that kind of vigilante impulse that that people do have and making it grow, cultivating it. So actually, yeah, you're you're completely right. That sequence is a beautiful representation of that, actually. And actually, Bruce Dern himself, he expressed regret at, at doing Black Sunday because he was worried that it would give terrorists ideas. So he clearly very much bought into the structure. And I don't think by that he's saying, oh, I'm worried that terrorists are going to try to fly a Goodyear blimp over a football (laughs) stadium and fire 220,000 darts (laughs) at the audience. I think... He was more likely to be worried about the ideology and the kind of methods and practices that are uh, on display in this movie. So, yeah, this is a first-time watch for me. I did really enjoy it. I'm not sure if I'd revisit it anytime soon because it's it's long and it is kind of pretty tough in places how did you feel did it really keep you engaged keep you going or was there a bit of a mid act sag for you
0: i no, i didn't really feel that it sagged I,
1: it's not a roller coaster you know it is
0: it's one of those it like this is one of the things that you find a lot with 70s like especially the more dour 70s one and you know it's very easy to, to think of something like the French connection and think about the sort of the bombastic chases and that kind of stuff but actually for the most part a lot of them are quite pensive that a lot of them are about like pain social dissatisfaction like those are very much the, the sort of topics of the era and I, I enjoyed sitting with these characters all of them the the, the cops and the and the terrorists as yeah. they as they go through their process it's, it's almost a procedural in that way
1: yeah and there's a nice arc very dark arc. But a, a nice arc where someone feels bad for sparing someone's life and the consequences of that escalate. And he's kind of wrestling with himself throughout the movie and Robert Shaw's performance. You can really feel that constant anxiety, even though, like, he's ostensibly a tough guy, there is a vulnerable side shown, um, which is interesting again for this kind of movie in this kind of era. It's not just a straight up badass. Shoot first, ask questions later. There's a sensitivity here.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and it it would be quite easy hearing us discuss that aspect of it, that particular plot point, to think that it's a movie that is kind of dirty harrying that character motivation. Right. The like, it, it doesn't come across as one of those aggressively right wing. It's really important that we just murder everyone. (laughs) Narratives. His, I, you know, I, I spared this woman's life, and that's the cause of all this problem, all these problems now, is never treated as a, as a, I should, I, you know, it's really important to
1: fuck off due process. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, that's definitely not one of those films. Yeah, and some interesting special effects, some more successful than others. There's one yeah. one death that let's just say involves a boat that doesn't particularly work as well for me, but there's uh, another death involving like a, a warehouse, let's say. Um, oh that, fuck me, yeah, that's so good. That really works, yeah, exactly. So well, it's it's it manages to be quite shocking
0: with the violence, even though it's yeah. not like, particularly gory. Yeah, and and I think it's just because it doesn't really shy away from what what's going on, and they are they're killing a lot of people but it's not like a team killing where like you shoot some bullets and then some people fall over or or fly over some barrels it lets you know that these people are properly dead yeah in a way of like almost forcing the audience to to be to some extent complicit with with the decisions that are being made on both sides
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, we
0: haven't talked about the plot sam (laughs) yeah
1: well good luck go ahead actually it's Um, not that hard it's just long yeah (laughs)
0: Well but but I'll just do the, the the instigation really. A uh in the the years following the Vietnam War, the Israel-Palestine divide is coming to to the fore and uh Palestinian freedom fighters in their own mind are protesting the American funding of the Israeli Armed Forces and plan a large terrorist strike as a show of force. An early sniff of this by the American uh, counter-terrorism forces leads to a raid, in which time they manage to seize a recording that is intended to be released after a future terrorist attack and it has a date in it so they now know there's a ticking clock and so what we have is a sort of two location cat and mouse with the anti-terror force trying to work out what's going on who's involved and how it's going to happen so that they can stop it in time while we watch the machinations of the terrorist plan play out and it's quite a quite mad cap (laughs) Uh, scheme that the terrorists have developed despite the like seriousness of the rest of the film um, which leads to quite a quite a raise in the action in the final act
1: yeah I mean that that's one thing I will say that I found a little bit flawed I mean actually just to tie back to your point who are we rooting for here until it takes a turn and, and yeah it, it's more clear Shea actually felt exactly the same way like Shay when we we're watching it, said I'm finding myself like wanting them to get away with it. Shea felt very conflicted about that. Not not right at the end, but you know, um, there's yeah. various schemes that they have to pull off um, in order to build up to that final act. Shay's explanation for it was that we know that this has to go to this point at the end, so she wants them to get there so that we can get to that kind of what she felt was going to be a big finale because of the way it was being built up. And sure enough, it was a huge finale. And that's really interesting to me. And that tied into my issues with it, which is the old Hitchcockian thing where you've got to show the bomb under the table to increase tension before it goes off. There's a long stretch of this movie where even though I knew the details of what they were trying to do, I didn't actually know at what stage of the plan they were in or how they were going to pull it off. Um, only like you know three or four minute five minute periods of time but it still took away the tension for me because I see all of these shots of crowds and I was like well how much danger are they in right now like do you see what I mean the pacing of it and the way it reveals information did slow it down for me um, until it hit a certain point in the third act does that make sense
0: yeah yeah that makes sense uh, to address Shay's point and well and our point collectively about having some sympathy for if not the methods then at least the wants of the quote-unquote baddies from this Mm -hmm. i i don't remember who it was some film writing person said that the best written baddies have to be entirely sympathetic except they go slightly too far
1: right yeah there you go perfect
0: because it is it's only by getting your audience to largely agree with them but then go, Oh no, that's that's too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you've created a really a really good baddie. Because otherwise they just fall into the realm of pantomime.
1: Yeah. Hashtag Thanos was right. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Um as far as the pacing goes, I, I didn't mind it. Like I and I wonder if part of it is the poster. <laughs> <laughs> right. That we know to some extent that that's going to be involved you know that that's going to be a big thing that was Shay's reference um, point
1: when she said we know that it's got to get to the cover so yeah you know we're waiting for it to happen it's not too much of a spoiler to say that the the blimp gets there but what's on the blimp and how are they going to pull off this thing that we've seen happen in a shed on a great scale and how close is it to happening you know all, all of those questions I, were, were in yeah. the air for me uh, pardon the pun.
0: I I quite, I liked I like that. I liked uh, I like waiting for it. I wondered how how much trouble the person at Goodyear got in for being like, yeah, you
1: can use the Goodyear blimp in your movie. <laughs> I've got no further questions. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently, Frankenheimer had a good relationship with Goodyear. He made a movie I think called Grand Prix um, that featured them quite heavily, and they gave him some caveats like no one can die as a result of the blimp itself. So no one can be thrown in propellers or whatever. And I think Frankenheimer's solution, if they were going to say no, was that he just paint a normal blimp to look like the Goodyear blimp. <laughs> yeah, uh, which... to, and, and call it bad you. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Yeah, I
0: did notice that there was a point where it held on the Goodyear blimp long enough for it to cycle through its entire
1: advertising slogan. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> which I assume was also part of the deal. Definitely. Oh, man, Shay and I watched this movie. It's called Fire, Ice and Dynamite uh, for VHS Quest this week. And Amazing. It stars Roger Moore as like this eccentric millionaire who, who fakes his death and then sets up a winter sports competition that uh, his, his <laughs> children have to win in order to get the inheritance. But every other competitor in this tournament is some big brand. And they have this sequence in the middle where they're, oh, and the next team, and the next team. And I swear to God, it goes on for 10 minutes long of advertising. And it's very similar to Black Sunday in that you're like, how did these brands sign off on this? Because all of the stunts in this film, and there's a lot of them, are absolutely insane, Dan. It's the most dangerous film for stuntmen I've ever, ever seen. It's absolutely crazy. I love that. And obviously spoiler alert they lose all of these brands lose and the kids the underdogs win at the end so it's very similar like how does any of these companies sign off on movies that make their product look so bad what year was this Uh, i think it was roughly early 90s maybe oh
0: fucking hell they really ought to have known better (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) i do feel people blunder their way through product placement occasionally i remember when i was like the first film I ever worked on was uh, an adaptation of ideal husband and they wanted a scene where like a guy was driving a ludicrously uh like fancy sports car and then it broke down and he got stranded but the character would be driving this car and then he, it was important to the plot that he got stranded and I was just a, like an office assistant in the production office and I was put in charge at one point of phoning around for some product placement things that they wanted to see if I could get things and I ended up speaking to someone in the like promotions department at Ferrari and they were like no you we're not going to lend you a Ferrari so you can show it being broken down on screen why on earth would we want that <laughs> the fiction of the, car, of the car and uh and someone in the production office was like yeah my friend's got a Ferrari we're gonna have a broken down Ferrari on the screen and tell everyone it's a shit car and it keeps breaking down
1: yes amazing incredible I don't know what else to say about this movie really other than We can talk about the extras a little bit. There's a really lovely TV documentary thing about Frankenheimer's career that's got some excellent interviews in there. Samuel L. Jackson is great. Kirk Douglas. uh, Yeah. I think probably my favorite extra was the audio commentary. It's by Josh Nelson, who sometimes teams up with Alexandra Helen Nicholas, and he is One of my favourite commentators out there. Um, Whenever his name pops up on a disc, it's always exciting. So that was a reason for me to to really be excited when you selected this one. And yeah, he goes into great detail, but he does it in a very entertaining and charming way as he always does. So great commentary, Josh. And it's uh, one of those that it's worth buying the disc for because I'm not sure outside of watching the movie, And then watching the commentary, how much replay value you'll get out of this uh, two hour and 20 minute um, blimp terrorism movie.
0: Well, I I should say that it is a it's a region A exclusive as well. So you can't buy it
1: in the UK. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) But it's Dan's Um, fault this time, not mine. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I'm sorry. It was uh, it's also harder for me to get the region A ones if I don't request them on the podcast.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's on the Arrow video player either.
1: No, it's not. Not in the states either uh, at the time of recording. So this is one that you'll have to be really dedicated to get hold of. But let's move on to recommendations based on a movie which should be easier for people to watch. Uh, Dan, why don't you go first?
0: My first recommendation based on it is Alan J. perkula's Parallax View from 1974. Lovely. It's another, I think, slightly underseen uh, 70s thriller. Uh, perkula did, uh, like, Clute and All the President's Men, so, you know, he's got, like, some directing chops as well. It's slightly more it's like slightly faster paced picture about a journalist who starts to realize that other writers uh, who are covering an assassination start to be dying in mysterious circumstances and he may or may not have undercover uncovered a uh, a conspiracy theory with a big company called the parallax corporation who yeah who may be pulling a lot more strings than maybe people realize even existed it's a really good yeah, ten, uh, ten 70s thriller. It's quite dour, but it's it's slightly more fun than uh, Black Sunday, and uh, and it's got a, a not entirely dissimilar final location.
1: Yeah, I think our lead um, is Warren Beatty, and I think he's a bit yes, more kind Warren of Beatty. charismatic and charming than Robert Shaw, which a, a choice made in Black Sunday. Obviously, it's this is a serious character, whereas Warren Beatty has a bit more of a twinkle in his eye and parallax view, but. Um, Wonderful, wonderful movie. Great recommendation. I love it a lot. But first from me is a movie that's actually talked about on this disc. Uh, The video essay talks about the Black September Massacre at the Olympics in Munich and the subsequent revenge mission. And Munich is Steven Spielberg's dramatization of those events. And it's a superb return to his thriller roots, it's one of his most dynamic movies with some really unreal set pieces where he does things with the camera I've never seen before. There's just some of the the shots and the editing in this film are absolutely next level. And it does have a bit of a dry reputation, I think, because it's, you know, a serious heavyweight subject that it's dealing with. But for me, it's tense and exciting throughout with excellent performances that keep things really compelling. So yeah, I love Munich. I've loved it for a long time and it definitely has a lot in common with Black Sunday. It's a long movie as well. Yeah, But but yeah, major, major recommendation. How do you feel about Munich, Dan?
0: There are elements of it that I think are a bit silly. Yes. It has some great practical effects in it. Mm. It's got another like good terrorism plot where you're not entirely sure you don't agree with the terrorists so i can definitely see the the connection between the two but really all i ever think of when i think of munich is that guy with a really tall head who gets stabbed in the head (laughs) there's a guy in a balaclava and he looks like he's got a double decker head that's because... And then he gets stabbed in it.
1: Look, Dan, just because you go <laughs> I round... I think he's
0: the son of the guy in Dawn of the Dead who gets killed by the helicopter.
1: Just because you go around stabbing people with small foreheads in the face doesn't mean that, you know, there aren't people out there with really tall heads. No, obviously you're going to pay you attention... deserve to get stabbed in the head. <laughs> um i'm thinking actually especially of your work in lords of chaos which has some of the most realistic and disturbing stabbings in general um so yeah i can see why you'd be uh paying particular attention to stuff like that in other movies for people like me who don't stab people um munich is a blast so uh
0: hey pun intended pun
1: absolutely not intended (laughs) and i'm sorry for anyone out there who i've just offended Uh, dan quickly move on what's next from you
0: it's the Absolute Laugh Riot from 2010. It's Gregor Jordan's
1: Unthinkable. Oh, interesting.
0: Um, I, I love Unthinkable. Yeah, yeah. Unthinkable is is kind of... I mean, it's not that close to Black Sunday, but it's, it's like Black Sunday if those two people were in a room, if the two leads were in a room together. Right. Samuel L. Jackson plays a specialist negotiator who is called in... Uh, much to his chagrin to deal with Michael Sheen who claims to have a dirty bomb in the States that will go off in at X time and they have reason to believe he's not lying. And it's, it's really the question like the question it's positing is uh, like how far is too far to go when something of this scale is imminent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it balances... I think, I mean, I've not seen it for a few years, but it it, it treads that line very well, I think. And it's a very tense and quite upsetting at times film.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And Samuel L. Jackson also pops up on the extras as well for Black Sunday. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, nice. Well, finally, from me, it's a bit of a silly one, but if you like movies about European terrorists coming to America featuring our hero hanging off of stuff from a great height then let me introduce <laughs> you to Nighthawks, which I covered a hundred oh, movies ago on VHS Quest. <laughs> uh, it features Sylvester Stallone and Billy D. Williams as a buddy cop duo going up against Rutger, who is Bond villain style bad guy, who's roaming the streets of New York, setting off bombs. It's got another interesting tie to Black Sunday because it actually started out as the French Connection 3. Um, and Frankenheimer obviously directed French Connection 2 so I actually wonder if maybe this was written post Black Sunday to try and appeal to Frankenheimer because there are some weird crossovers but yeah definitely doesn't fit into the French Connection uh, tone or style Uh, it's kind of a bizarre movie with one of the silliest endings of all time Like it it really really it it goes all De Palma at the end basically and uh, I love it So yeah, Nighthawks, a lot sillier than Black Sunday. Like I said, this was a VHS Quest recommendation, but uh, it's really fun. So, yeah, Nighthawks. Dan, it sounds like you've seen Nighthawks. (laughs) From the description, if you look back
0: at the beginning of your notes and just read it to yourself, how certain do you think I was that you were about to tell people that they should watch Die Hard?
1: I know, yeah. I actually, as I was reading it, I was thinking Dan's going to think this is Die Hard. But no. I did. I 100% did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But no, it's Nighthawks. Only the film that Die Hard wanted to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Should we uh, go on to films from the past couple of weeks? Films from the past couple of weeks. All right. Um,
0: yeah, uh, I. Got on a bit of a uh, Michael Bright kick after the recent Vinegar Syndrome uh, releases, Mm -hmm. and I revisited Tiptoes, but I'm not recommending that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Although I am still desperately trying to get hold of the can cut, which is 40 minutes longer and will be a Matthew Bright film rather than whatever we got. Yeah, yeah. Although I would say it's still worth watching for pure what the fuckery. Yeah. But no, my uh, recommendation is the uh, 1992 remake of Gun Crazy, directed by Tamra. Davis. Oh, cool. uh, More famous for Half Baked and Billy Madison and films of that type. But it was written by Michael Bright. And in fact, it's where he met Drew Barrymore. It's unbelievably bleak. It's very different from the noir, from the the original. Almost to the extent, like, there's threads between them. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the things that I always like about the original, one of the stories I like, is that the director apparently his main, like, Acting note for the two leads was: I want you to exude the energy of "Let's get this finished so we can go and fuck."
1: Right, yeah. Whereas,
0: <laughs> and it's a sizzling film on that level. Whereas Tamara Davis's version is very much about a, a, a sort of much more, well, kind of almost like a sort of Henry D. Lucas kind of attitude towards sex from from our male lead and and as, and it, there's a lot of sort of like pent up like asexual aggression right. um there which is a really interesting thing to see on screen but it's it's yeah it's really good and it's got a great ending
1: that's excellent i don't actually know if i should say this or not i may end up cutting this but someone put a movie that i'd written on a list on Letterboxd, and the list is... I think I can get away with this, because there's 641 films on it, and who's going to bother to find the film that I wrote in that? Um, but the title of it is Cinematic Shitposts and Fuck You Movies, and it's 100% <laughs> <laughs> what that film is. So, um, yeah, just you saying, you know, it's a film where the lead characters just want to get it out the way and go fuck... Um, my film was uh i wanted to get it out of the way and say fuck you i'm definitely going to cut this um excellent recommendation dan <laughs> i'm very sad <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah excellent recommendation i love that uh gun crazy remake it's it's so so good and yeah drew barrymore is a, a great actress um if, if it needs saying yeah she's amazing in it yeah really really yeah amazing.
0: she's really Yeah, really good. Real good range in that as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. All right, well, from impossibly dark to impossibly light, I've been doing some catching up on 2023 releases because I realized I made it halfway through the year and the only film on my best of 2023 list is Bo Is Afraid. Hey, have you seen that yet?
0: We haven't talked about that. Do you want to talk about that after this list? Finish these bits because we should have a nice chat about Bo Is Afraid.
1: Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, um, the first 2023 release that I caught up with that I really loved was Rye Lane, which popped up on so many people's best of the year lists. I thought I would better check it out. And I'm so glad I did. It's a really, really warm and creative and imaginative rom-com, really simple premise. A couple of people meet uh, at an art showing. They've both recently broken up with people and they spend the day together talking about their lives and... Um, interacting with interesting people. That's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah, it's just got this really... It's almost like... I don't want to say Wes Anderson, but it's got uh, an appealingly quirky edge to it. Normally quirky, I can take or leave. But this is done in a really beautiful way that does put me in mind of Wes Anderson, even if it's very stylistically different. There is a strong voice here that's all of its own. Um, So yeah, Rye Lane... 2023 release if you haven't caught it yet i really do recommend it it's lovely the rom-com is back thank goodness because we have recommended a lot of rom-coms on this podcast before just because they're from uh the 40s and, and the 50s doesn't mean that some of our, our, our favourite movies aren't rom-coms. Right, Dan?
0: Yeah, and in fact, I'm going to recommend a sort of rom-com next as
1: well. Hey, perfect. So yeah, Rylane, I recommend it. Dan, what's next from you?
0: It's another 2023 picture. Uh, Excellent. I, you and I have actually talked about this off mic, but um, I caught uh, Nicole Holofcena's, uh You Hurt My Feelings, which i really enjoyed enough so that i immediately went and watched some of her other films afterwards it's a really nice kind of woody allen-esque comedy uh, about real people being awkward around each other but without any of the guilt that you really ought to feel if you're watching a woody allen picture um it's about a uh, an author who is trying to get her second book to the state where it can be published and she's having pushback from her uh, her agent and her husband is very supportive but then she overhears him talking to a friend about his real feelings about the book and the fact that he doesn't like it doesn't get it and she feels incredibly betrayed by him that he would lie to her that he doesn't like the book all of these things are very um are very difficult for her to process uh and it's about our attachment to other people but our attachment to our creative endeavors and how personal they can be and how painful it can be when you put them out there and other people don't get them especially people close to you it's a it's a really nicely written film uh, it's got some fantastic turns in it Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the lead in it she's fantastic Uh, Tobias Menzies plays her husband he's really good as well it's all yeah all of it's really good it's very nice
1: excellent yeah we did talk about this one weirdly coincidentally this this record feels like the conversation we had at the weekend because I actually got in touch with you because there's a credit in Rye Lane that's something to do with props and it's a Dan Martin and I was like that can't be my Dan like he's (laughs) he wouldn't just do props on something but how many other people are there out there in the industry called Dan Martin so it actually turned out that it wasn't Dan um but we then went on to talk about you watching this movie and how much you loved it so I will definitely check it out for sure before the end of the year special and um Yeah, a film that I'm probably gonna include in that end of year special, so I won't go too into it. Um, But my second 2023 watch this week was Showing Up. Now, Showing Up is directed by Kelly Reichardt, who you'll know from films like Wendy and Lucy and First Cow, and it stars her frequent collaborator, Michelle Williams, who is excellent in this film. We all know how good Michelle Williams is, but showing up is a very different kind of performance from her. And she really, really feels so real as as this character, Lizzie. And Lizzie is an an artist. Uh, She makes sculptures and she's struggling with ideas of kind of success and motivation. She's got a show that she's got to make stuff for and she's fallen behind with it. She interacts with lots of different characters and all the while she struggles with personal relationships. And it's set in Portland as well, I should say that, and that's where I'm living now. So it felt very, very real. I know a lot of artists. I've made friends with a lot of cartoonists and other kind of artists since I moved here. And uh, my God, some elements of this film feel so, so real and so true to life. So yeah, I, I really, really connected with it. And so if Ryan Lane was me feeling nostalgic about London, because London is a character in Ryle Lane, you know, it's there in the title, but uh, all the environments that they move through have really distinct personalities in that movie and portland feels like a character in showing up as well so yeah my life before and my life now in movie form i really love both of these movies but yeah showing up was definitely my favorite of the two it's slow paced and you are hanging out with a character who can be a bit difficult make some (laughs) decisions i think maybe dan wouldn't necessarily agree with but uh yeah wonderful wonderful movie and I recommend it. Showing up,
0: lovely. Uh, it's been on my list, so I'll give it a. I'll give it a look.
1: I'm really, I, honestly, really excited to hear what you think. And I think you'll know you'll know what I'm talking about when I say uh, a decision that Dan wouldn't agree with because it involves an animal, Dan, but but no animals harmed oh. in the making of this film.
0: I mean, I'm weirdly, I'm not one of these people that objects to the fictional killing of unreal animals. In films. I, I think it can be used very effectively. Um, <laughs> to the extent that I think it might have become a little bit of a... A little overused, maybe? Uh, interesting, um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's... What did I watch the other day? Oh, <laughs> I almost put up my recommendations, actually. I watched... It's deeply silly. Have you seen The Machine? I haven't, no. It's a, it's a comedy about a stand-up comedian who I'm not particularly familiar with, who apparently became very famous for a clip of him talking about robbing a train in Russia when he was a, uh, an exchange student with uh, accidentally getting involved with a bunch of Russian criminals that went viral which I also wasn't familiar with mm. um and it is a and I presume fictionalized account of him getting caught back up with those same Russians in adult life and learning to be a better father on the way <laughs> um it's by and large it's it's sort of an adequate comedy right it's got some Pretty fucking good action in it. Oh, cool. Um, But it's also got some really beautiful transition shots. Like, whoever's in charge of designing those transitions, it's really gorgeous. Like, it'll go from, because it deals with flashbacks a bit, and it'll go from him lying on the ground having been like punched down onto a black and white tiled bathroom floor and then the camera will p- tilt up and the bathroom floor will start to break apart as it becomes grass and then it'll be a young version of him sitting with his father played by mark hamill talking about something for a flashback but it's all done that's all practical they just built that it's really nice surprisingly violent as well hey. <laughs> Got some really re- but there's anyway there's a bit where a russian mobster just chucks someone's dog out of a multi-story window <laughs> They just they just walk in and fucking boot the dog out of the window, and I forward much louder than they want to have. <laughs>
1: well, okay, yeah, you'll be fine with showing up then. Yeah, it's all good. All right, excellent. Let's move on to extra features, extra features, extra features, extra features, extra features. All right, well, let's do a rundown of our thoughts and feelings about Bo is Afraid, uh, because now we've finally both seen it. I still, I think I'm still processing it, even these, you know, a month or however long it is later. So I'm really, I'd be really interested to get your fresher thoughts, Dan. How did you feel about the movie?
0: I loved it, and I think it's Ari Aster's best film by Country Mile.
1: Ah, interesting. Like, absolutely hands
0: down, easy most easily his best film he still wears his influences on his sleeve but it's the cocktail now has enough ingredients to be his own
1: Interesting. Oh, I like that a lot. So what influences did you see? Oh my goodness. It's
0: got interestingly actually, you mentioned Wes Anderson. I feel like it's got some Wes Anderson elements to it.
1: A little bit um, of Todd Solon's?
0: Yeah, very much some Solonsian stuff. Some um some Gregoraki in there mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, like like you, it's it's sort of become a little bit of a blur. I think I'm gonna rewatch it. Which, you know, considering its length and how little time I get to watch films these days is quite the thing. Yeah, I really, really liked it. The setups and payoffs all the way through it were absolutely masterful. The detail and depth of the world was fantastic. Yes, I think it slumps maybe a tiny bit in the middle. Yeah. But I don't really begrudge it that. I feel like almost like that that's part of the experience of it all as well. Absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah. Every bit of it. For me, I think I said when we discussed it on the show that it was a one-star film and a five-star film at the same time for me, Um, which doesn't necessarily average out at a three-star film because (laughs) there were moments that really uh, are amongst my favourite cinematic moments ever in Bo's Afraid, like the first kind of, I think it's 50 minutes or so, all the stuff where he's in his apartment before he leaves to go on his trip. Oh um, goodness, so good. That whole sequence is my favourite movie of the year, Hand Down. If it was that just for another 40 minutes or so... It would be my favorite movie, probably of the past like 30 or 40 years. I loved that so, so much. And it really put me in mind of a Portland artist who I've befriended here, Josh Simmons. His horror comics are very, very similar to that sequence. And I think Ariasta is a comics fan because. He thanks Dan Klaus in the, the end credits. Um, yeah, yeah, I noticed so, that. And, and there are Clausian elements to this film as well, for sure. Like the dark surrealism of it really puts me in mind of some of his nastier pieces of work. But yeah, the middle really did sag for me. And then it did come together for the end again without spoiling it there are shots and sequences in that third act that will stay with me forever there was one particular moment in that end sequence where we see something and it's a shock to the character (laughs) and it was a shock to me (laughs) and like that is burned in my brain it's a magnificent moment and I think I like muttered under my breath like oh my god (laughs) when that happened it's so so good so yeah real real highs in this film but More lows for me than for you, I think. So I'm not sure where it will land in my top 10 at the end of the year. Definitely recommend that everyone listen to this watches it to make up their own mind. Uh, I think yeah, it is absolutely. A, a relatively underseen movie. It didn't do very well at the box office at all. So hopefully more people will catch up on it I when think it's out in Blu-ray.
0: Yeah, people are scared by long films. I mean, I was—I knew I was going to watch it when that audience reaction from that previous screening got leaked and people were calling it a career killer. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch that then. <laughs> well,
1: absolutely. Well, I think I said this on, on the episode where we discussed it before, but just in case I didn't, at the end of my screening, I saw it, you know, with the public. When the lights came on, there was this palpable feeling of shame. I've never experienced anything like it. It was like we'd all just watched pornography together. And people like the body language, people looking down at their feet. A couple of people literally ran out as soon as the lights came up. Almost like they didn't want to be seen by anyone else in the room. And while it does have kind of extreme elements, it's not that extreme. So it was kind of bizarre to to have that reaction but i can totally see why people would come out of that film thinking it's a career killer especially off the back of his other stuff but i actually really hope he goes in this direction even more now i want
0: yeah i want i want more stuff like this this was so good
1: yeah absolutely all right well that's it for extra features Bo is afraid discussion special uh let's move on to how people can follow us on the internet dan how can people follow you people if
0: you're listening to this on the day that it is released uh which is monday the 17th of july 2023 then that means that tomorrow you can come and say hi to me in person at the genesis cinema when evolution of horror are going to be showing a 10-year anniversary screening of the borderlands fantastic Um, and Mike will be heading up a Q&A with Jen, my wife, who produced the movie, but also uh, with Gordon Kennedy and Rob Hill as well, who are the two leads in the film. It's If you haven't seen it, come along and see it. It's you know often turns up on scariest films' lists, and it's one of my favourite found footage movies of all time, even if I did work on it myself. And if you have seen it, then you know it's great, and you should come again. Excellent. Uh, other than that, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at 13fingerfx. Uh same on Instagram. I'm not on threads yet. I probably will be on Blue Sky at some point, but I'm not yet. Yeah. I won't be on threads, I don't think.
1: No, I'm I'm not gonna be on threads either. I was reading about it today and apparently um if you get a threads account and then you want to delete it, you have to delete yeah. your Instagram account. Your Instagram
0: so. gets killed, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah. And and actually I was thinking, wow, it's really this is actually quite lovely. Finally a social media thing that everyone's flocked to where I'm not working for a media company anymore, so I don't have to get it. And I can just let it pass me by and not get involved. I'm so excited about that.
0: (laughs) How is your TikTok going?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, It's just me crying um, for (laughs) 10-second loops. Um, (laughs) to to, to little bits of music (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah uh, wonderful Dan feels The Borderlands is one of the best found footage movies of all time even though he worked on it I absolutely agree I heartily heartily recommend that you go along to that event I haven't actually seen it on the big screen yet I've only seen it on the small screen and it worked its power on me there so I can't imagine what it would be like uh, with a crowd That'll be a really fun event. Um, another one of the best found footage movies of all time is my film, A Little More Flesh, <laughs> uh, even though I did make it myself. Um, and you can get that film, along with its sequel, A Little More Flesh, Two, by joining my Patreon, uh, VHS Quest. And if you join at the $10 level, not only will you get four episodes a month, so every week, loads of recommendations for weird, funny, silly stuff, Uh, you also get digital downloads of my two movies. But if you've already got a little more flesh and a little more flesh too, you can join at the $4 level. Um, We've done over 150 recommendations by this point and I can guarantee that you haven't heard of or seen at least half of them unless you're a big fan of Syngenor and Absalon. There will be films that you've never encountered before joining up at VHS Quest. So... um, yeah. Dan, are you a Sinjin or an Absalon fan? I do not know what that is. <laughs> it's actually two things. Uh, and, and One of them is wonderful and the other one is absolutely terrible. So, um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Until next time when we'll be doing The Lighthouse, uh, which I'm yes. extremely excited to discuss with Dan, that's it. So, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional promise. next professional. time. Time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.